This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today is the Toledo Symphony's Artistic Administrator and Principal Second Violin, Merwin Sue, And we also have Rachel Zeithamel with us, the Director of Education and Community Engagement for the Toledo Symphony. Welcome to both of you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. This is your first time with Toledo Symphony Lab. It is. I got to tell you, I'm a little nervous, but um, I don't know if we can say this, but Merwin brought in Timbits, so I'm assuming is this a regular thing? Because if so, I'm going to be back next week. Henceforth. Henceforth. It shall be a, a regular thing. <laughs> it shall be so. Um, now, our topic today is about the phenomenon of orchestral transcription or as I like to call it, musical transmogrification. <laughs> transmogrification is a hard yes. word to say when you've got a timbit in it your is. mouth. It's <laughs> hard to say. It, rem- it makes me think of Calvin and Hobbes. You remember Absolutely, you know, the yes. transmogrifier. Absolutely. See, now I can say it. Yeah. But uh, this is inspired by the second Mozart and More program of the season, which features two Mozart piano concertos. But there's also an orchestrated version of a Beethoven violin sonata, which was done by Yaniv Segal, who conducts the program. That performance is this Saturday, November 11th. It's at 2.30 in the afternoon at the Franciscan Center. More information at ToledoSymphony.com, or you can call the box office, 419-246-8000. So we're going to speak with uh, conductor and composer Yaniv Segal a little bit later in the program. He's going to call in. But uh, why don't we get started, Merwin, with a little refresher on this Festival of 88, people that uh, may not have heard the last time we talked about it. Well, we're using this set of Mozart and more concerts to really do a deep dive into Mozart's piano concerti. This is a genre that Mozart explored really throughout his entire life. So it allows us a chance to pair some of Mozart's most popular melodies and most popular concerti with Mozart pieces that our audiences really haven't heard before. It's really quite amazing that somebody who we pretty much devote a concert series to every year, there's still some amazing pieces that our audiences haven't heard. So the sixth concerto, the seventh concerto, the eighth concerto, in this case, it'll be the eighth concerto, is going to be a Toledo Symphony premiere. And we're really, really excited about that. It's also a chance for us to pay tribute to the memory of Dorothy Mackenzie Price, who was just a great lover of music and a wonderful supporter of all of the arts in Toledo, but a lover of the piano in particular. So, yeah. so I, I think a fitting tribute to her memory. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the concerto number eight features uh, pianist Samantha Beresford, who I know, Rachel, you have some history with, and, and we're gonna, she's going to come in later in the program. Well, uh, before we hear from uh, Yaniv Segal about uh, his arrangement of this Beethoven violin sonata, I thought it would be kind of fun to do not so much a quiz. I guess we can say it's a quiz, mm-hmm. But it's more of a musical show and tell. We will listen to some examples of chamber music that has been transmogrified into an orchestral transcription. Perfect. And uh, I'm I'm pretty sure you'll be able to figure out some of these. You can just say what they are as as we play them and listen to them. The whole thing is only a couple of minutes long. So it'll just fly by, okay? Well, here we go with our first example. I was hoping you would use this. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, what piece is this? This is the Brahms G minor piano quartet. Well, here's the orchestral version. Wow, you managed to get a really good tempo segue there. 
It's pretty spot on, yeah. isn't it? Amazingly enough, this is actually the Arnold Schoenberg The Arnold Schoenberg orchestration, which is interesting because he orchestrated a few different pieces, Mm -hmm. you know, based on what we think of as like core composers. And he remained fairly uh, faithful to the original piece. Absolutely. And it's just a wonderful orchestration. And I mean, it's one of the most fun pieces to perform as a chamber piece. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just an adrenaline rush. um, And to try to, I'm, I would love to see how this program feels, like to to see how this piece feels as a full orchestra thing. I've never had the chance to perform the full transcription. One of these days, Mm -hmm. perhaps. Here is another transmogrification from another uh, composer working with uh, whom we think of as a a core composer of the repertoire. See if you can figure out this one. Originally a string quintet, I believe. And then here's the orchestral version. Kind of pulling out all the stops for this. You said pulling out all the stops. The only thing it's missing is organ. Yeah, right. (laughs) You look like you may have an idea. Yes, I had an idea, but I think it's wrong. I'm totally willing to embarrass myself. Well, this is the place to be wrong. It's okay. Do you have an idea, Rachel? I mean, it's not like anybody's going to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Is it Baccarini Quintet? Uh, Baccarini Quintet, yeah. The Night Music in Madrid. Yeah. And who did the orchestral (sighs) version of it? He just took one movement from the Baccarini and turned it into four different sets of variations for orchestra. Transcription, Luciano Berrio. Oh, wow. And it's a really fun, imaginative, pumped-up version. And Luciano Berrio, a composer who did a lot of experimental music and somebody we don't necessarily think of as, you know, uh, a transcriber in the same mold as somebody like Buzzoni or somebody like that. But uh, it's a great, great piece for orchestra. Glad to have known it. Wow. Yeah. Here's another one. I'm pretty sure you'll get this. And I think that there are three different versions of this. Here we go. Merwin, you probably know this. Being a violinist. Yep. This is Bach. One of the pieces that was in our Bach marathon. Yeah. It's about to transmogrify. You ready? Here we go. Any minute now. Hmm. That is a composer we all know and love who felt that Bach needed a little extra humph there, harumph. There are two pianists who did this, I think. One was... I think Robert Schumann did one. That was the that Schumann, was the Schumann, yeah. Schumann. Now this one should be easy. Well, who did all the Bach orchestral transcriptions? Did Stokowski do this? Stokowski, no. yeah. I've never heard this. Yeah. I've got one more on here, and uh, see if you can get this one. That's the original version. Now we're going to transmogrify it into string quartet. 
I can tell you that the same composer did both of those. So the composer okay. made his own arrangement of a piano work. Can you guess who the composer was? Somebody we're going to be talking about with Yanis Segal in just a few minutes. I was going to say Beethoven? Yeah. Beethoven, piano, sonata. Oh, now it escapes me. Piano, sonata, I want to say number eight, which he oh, wow. later orchestrated uh, for string quartet or transcribed it for string quartet into a string quartet in F major. So there you go. Wow. There's an example of Beethoven kind of sampling his own mm -hmm. stuff. So I, I think that that leaves the gate wide open for anybody else to take Beethoven and, <laughs> and do what they will with his music. So now's a good time to uh, check in with our conductor uh, for the concert. That is uh, Maestro Yaniv Segal, who is on the phone with us. Thanks for joining Thank us today. Thank you so much. What, where are you right now, out of curiosity? I am at home in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, okay. Well, you're not that far away from us. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Just it's up nice, the... it's nice to be able to work close to home sometimes. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward uh, to having you and also to hearing this transcription of this Beethoven violin sonata. And I wonder if you could just sort of introduce that whole piece to us and, and your version of it. Well, sure. So um, it's, a, it's a really fascinating work. It's one of uh, his violin and piano sonatas that's in four movements. And uh, as, as such, it already kind of takes on an epic character. Uh, it's not in the traditional three movements, and it kind of uh, broadens the scope. Um, and it's in the dramatic key of C minor, which for Beethoven is a really important key. Uh, you can think about works like the Pathétique uh, or his early string quartet, Opus 18, number 4, or, of course, the amazing second movement of the Eroica Symphony, written around the same time. And um, we can't forget course, the famous Fifth Symphony, which is the big struggle between C minor and C major. So um, this sonata, in, in my ears and also um, in my collaborator's ears, I actually uh, worked on the transcription together with a colleague who also studied composition at the University of Michigan, Garrett Schumann. Um, we always thought of this piece as kind of a precursor to the Fifth Symphony. He's experimenting with some of the same key relationships um, he's experimenting with the same melodic cells, even, um, and there are other elements which, in our ears, sounded symphonic. Um, so it, it was an, it was a natural piece that lends itself uh, from the form of a violin piano sonata to a larger orchestral format. Well, when you're dealing with a violin and piano sonata of Beethoven, uh, you have two instrumentalists. You have two basic sonorities going on. You yourself are a violinist. I'm wondering, how did you integrate the, the solo part with the piano part into an orchestral whole? Or did you, how, how did you approach that? Well, that's the fun challenge, actually. Uh, so we ended up calling the work uh, Sonata for Orchestra, but it's not a, it's not like a violin concerto. So we, we took the violin part which, or, or let's say the melodic part, which is really well distributed in the sonata between the violin and the piano. It's, you have to think of the work not as a violin sonata, but a sonata for violin and piano. So it's a piece of chamber music. So it's not like orchestrating a concerto, which would clearly have one voice, which must be dominant the whole time. In this case, 
we very clearly have melody and accompaniment. And so by looking at early Beethoven works, uh, such as his first two symphonies, some of his early piano concertos, we kind of get an idea of how he was treating the orchestra. And so we look at the melody and we say, well, he might have given it to the winds here, he might have given it to the strings, uh, and making decisions literally bar to bar by comparing it to other works of his, we're able to redistribute the music to the orchestra. And in, in so doing, actually getting quite a, a bit more color than the original part. But I, I would say if you do look at the piano part very carefully in the sonata, there's something that especially he writes for the left hand, which, for example, clearly lends itself to a timpani roll or a low string trip trill or something like that. And so he's already thinking of uh, a big sonority, even when he is only using two instruments. So you're saying part of your guiding principle here was to create an orchestrated version of this piece in, in the way that Beethoven himself may have done it. Right, and of course that's a that's a dicey proposition. Right, uh, we 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 can't uh, we can't defend every note and every choice, but for many of them we could point to which which source we used as a reference, um, and uh, you know, uh, especially because it was a collaboration. I might have written something and Garrett would say, you know, that's not how he did it in this piece or, or vice versa. And so it was great to be able to bounce the ideas off of another person who was looking at it analytically from a different perspective. Yeah, and if somebody takes issue with something you did, you can say, well, that wasn't me, that was the other guy. <laughs> yeah, sure, that, that too. That's the, as the onus is, as a conductor, you show up and it's got your name on it, and then the, the musicians can get mad at you, right? But maybe that's, that's a, a good way to deflect some of that. <laughs> I did want to jump in here and ask a little bit about this collaboration, because I think the... Um, the, ro the romantic idea of a, co a composer sitting in a garret by himself. I just said garret without the intention of a pun. I'm sorry about that. Um, but just like by, you know, by himself and entirely solitary by himself or herself. And then to see this piece, which is kind of orchestrated by two different people. How was the working process of this? Did you, were you working on individual sections by yourself, or were you constantly in communication with each other, for, like, note for note? Uh, so this was our first project together, and we had to <clears throat> figure out how to work together. We actually worked very, very well um, as a team. Uh, but we started out with the second movement, mm -hmm. and we picked the opening couple phrases and said, okay, each one of us is going to work on this independently, and then maybe even do a couple different versions, and then come together, compare them, and see uh, where our agreements are, where our disagreements are, and what our process was. Mm -hmm. And we did that, and then uh, continued to work through that second movement in a similar fashion. And once we established that we were mostly on the same page for the, the big decisions, we then went almost movement by movement or section by section individually. Okay. Uh, and, and then would come together. We would meet probably about once a week over several months and just compare notes and suggest changes. And uh, again, all, all the changes they, uh, could be aesthetic changes or could be changes that just simply didn't feel like they were in the style or were clearly not in the style if you looked at his music. And uh, we would just, uh, yeah, take good notes on each other's work and uh, work through it that way. He, he was able to come down to the premiere, 
which I did last year in Naples, Florida. And based on the the rehearsals and the, those performances, we've instituted a few more changes. And so I think we're even closer now to, well, what we think Beethoven's uh, ideas could have been. When you were in, in Naples, did you ever have the chance to perform an other arrangement or another composition of yours, or, is, or was this the first one that you worked with? I, I did some arrangements for them mm-hmm. that I did not perform. Um, but actually, the season before, I did another, I did an arrangement of a Brahms sonata for the clarinet uh, that was orchestrated by Thomas Sleeper. Oh, wow. And uh, we, we, I conducted that. And actually, that also helped to inform this a lot because, well, both Brahms clarinet sonatas have been orchestrated, the second one by Luciano Berrio. And I happened to cover that with the Detroit Symphony last season as well. So in one season, I experienced both uh, clarinet sonatas in different, by different arrangers with different orchestras, different soloists, and that was fascinating. But what I, what I learned from both of those arrangements, I would say, is that a sonata is not a concerto, mm-hmm. and a sonata is not a symphony. Mm-hmm. The even with the the different scope that I, that we feel is in this sonata, it it still doesn't have the same uh, what can I say the same weight as as one of Beethoven's symphonies does. Mm-hmm. And so, what I heard in the in the orchestrations of the Brahms was this kind of difficulty to, to try to change it into a concerto. And it never really became a concerto. So you have, when, when listening to this in, in, in the orchestra, uh, in the orchestral world, I actually love how it's come out. I think it's very effective, and I think it's great music, and I'm happy to share it in a new form. But it still very much has the, the, has the sonata parameters. Like, for example, you know, I think an earlier question was about the, the fact that there's only two voices, violin and piano. Of course, they can cover many notes. But the piano, but the orchestra generally has much richer sonorities, much richer harmonies, more counter uh, melodies, and so forth. And we had to make the decision: do we want to add notes to Beethoven to make it more symphonic, or shall we respect the original and do more of a transcription style? So we, we went for the more transcription in in the in that vein because we respect that it is a sonata and not a symphony. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to hear it. It's going to be uh, November 11th at the Franciscan Center, 2.30 in the afternoon at Lourdes University. Conductor Yaniv Segal, also Mozart on that program, a couple of piano concertos, and we're going to check in with one of the pianists. Uh, she's going to call in and talk with us a little bit. But uh, thank you, Maestro Segal, for joining us today here on Toledo Symphony Lab. We look forward to having you. Thanks for having me. Well, we still have time for one more guest, and uh, she's actually on the phone with us now. That is one of the piano soloists at the concert this weekend. That is pianist Samantha Beresford. Samantha, are you there? I am. Hello. Hi. It's nice to have you here. Uh, I'm really you know, happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and 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 we're happy to have you uh, come perform with the Toledo Symphony. Now, we just spoke with Yanni Segal a few moments ago, and he was telling us all about this orchestrated Beethoven violin sonata that's happening on the program, but you're bringing uh, Mozart to the program. And I, I, I know that you have a long history with uh, the Toledo Symphony, and in fact, you're a native of Toledo, right? I am born and raised, born in the Toledo Hospital in uh, 1988. 
um, my family, my dad grew up in Toledo. So we definitely have a long history there. Um, studied with wonderful teachers in Toledo, including Francis Renzi. Oh, yeah. Um, and you know, I, it's, it's just such an honor to come back. I don't live that far away now, just an hour north in Michigan, but it's a real treat for me to get to, to come back and join the Toledo Symphony. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a pity that we can't feature you in both a piano role and a percussion role. <laughs> so maybe tell maybe tell the listeners a little bit about how you weren't just a single instrumentalist in Toledo. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I just had such broad musical interests as a, as a kid growing up in Toledo. And thankfully, there were some incredible teachers in the area to be able to foster those various interests. But I started uh, studying the saxophone, actually, in middle school and did the whole jazz band thing for a while and then picked up percussion because I wanted to be involved in the Toledo Youth Orchestra. Um, so I started off in the junior youth orchestra and then moved up to the senior group and began lessons as a percussionist with Robert Bell, long time symphony, you know, director, CEO, incredible musician and friend. Um, and that was just such an incredible experience for me. The percussion background I had I think it just works so well with the piano and those instruments um, complemented each other in a really amazing way. I think the study of percussion, um, the rhythmic background that I had as a percussionist just really influenced my piano playing a lot and uh, prepared me well for college later. But um, my lessons with uh, Mr. Bell were uh, just so fun. I really loved that time and I ended up having to make a choice when I entered college to just focus on the piano. But up until then, I was really serious about both um, both instruments. And, you know, it's hard for me to pick one, but I felt I really, I didn't want to be a <laughs> jack of all trades and master of none kind of thing. So yeah. um, I, I focused in on the piano, but it was, a, it was an exciting time pre-college to get to explore all those different instruments. So. Well, the piano is kind of a percussion instrument, really. It really is. Yeah, they're not so different. And no. I, I really love the mallet instruments. I played a lot of marimba growing up, and they they definitely are more similar than not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you say percussionist, I mean, and, and you say you played mallets, I mean, what, what was your primary percussion instrument? We know Bob I was, was a timpanist, so. <laughs> I was, yeah, I studied a timpani a lot, actually, and really enjoyed it. I did a lot of timpani playing in the youth orchestra in high school. Um, but my favorite, I would say my love was the, the mallet instruments, specifically the marimba. So, yeah. and I'm sure it's because of my keyboard experience, you know, it just, it, it came more naturally to me. So the timpani was a fun challenge and the mallets just felt like home. <laughs> well, it's interesting, you know, like a jazz performer would be expected to be at home with uh, keyboards and with mallets and things like that, right? right? Right. Yeah, I would say, to clarify, I don't want to make myself myself sound more experienced than I was. <laughs> my uh, my jazz experience was limited to the saxophone and was not so great. <laughs> I was not a great uh, jazz musician. <laughs> so we're not going to expect any uh, saxophone concerti from you? Anytime, no, so. don't expect that and don't expect some sort of amazing improvised, you know, <laughs> encore at the concert. <laughs> right, right. Pull out your, your one-woman band sax and uh, marimba and... <laughs> keyboard and what have you. Right. <laughs> now, have you have you done this particular concerto before? Because I know, like these early concertos are kind of rarities for people. No, what's actually interesting is I do a lot of accompanying. I would say my 
career now consists mostly of, you know, collaborative playing and a lot of work with students and accompanying for competitions and things. And I recently, as in the past year, um, have played this first movement of this concerto that I'll be playing in a couple of weeks with several students in the area up in Michigan uh, for competitions and things. And that's the first time I, my first exposure with the piece was as an accompanist. So uh, when I got a call or got the message from Merwin and invited me to play in a couple of weeks with the Toledo Symphony, it was fun because it was so fresh in my memory from having worked with these students. And I knew it was a really um, just fun, light concerto and, um, yeah, I, I didn't have any prior experience. It was composed by Mozart when he was about 20 years old and for students. I think he used it mainly as a teaching piece, um, you know, but it's, it's just a great concerto. So I really enjoyed becoming more familiar with it the past few months. Um, you and Rachel actually have a fair bit in common. Both of you have kind of Cleveland educational backgrounds and yeah. also studied collaborative piano. Um, and that's kind of something that's been a little bit newer in terms of kind of an actual field of study. I was thinking yeah. it seemed appropriate that maybe you could tag team to describe a little bit more about what exactly a collaborative piano major entails. <laughs> maybe the two of you should collaborate. <laughs> yeah, I tried to be subtle about it, but I guess that didn't happen. That's a great idea. <laughs> Rachel, why don't you start? <laughs> um, well, I... <laughs> I didn't want to be a soloist. (laughs) I agree and understand. (laughs) Um, And there's just so much repertoire out there for other instruments. Um, I liked, I didn't like spending 10 hours in a practice room by myself. I liked that social interaction. And I liked, um, I think people here, so we have in the past 10 years or so gone away from the term accompanist to collaborative pianist, which is a very good thing. It's a more accurate reflection of, of what we do. Um, I always think that my job as the collaborative pianist is to make the soloist sound better, the featured instruments. So, yeah, no, you know what? I completely agree with everything you said. It's all true for me as well. And I'm not just trying to piggyback here, but um, I love being on stage with other people. And that's, Honestly, why one of my favorite things in the world to do is play with orchestra, the chances that I've had to do that, because it is a collaboration. It's not a solo experience. It's being on stage with other musicians who are better than I am and can just inspire me and we can feed off of each other and getting to work with a um, a conductor. It's one of my favorite things. And it is, I mean, to me, it's just a collaborative pianist's dream to play with orchestra. So, um, yeah, I. You know they're going to love... put you down in front, though, right? <laughs> oh, man. They're, not, they're not putting you in the back of the orchestra. You're going to be front and center. I, I want to be by the timpani. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It's 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 actually unusual that we are actually featuring a sonata that actually often gets. It's a very challenging piece for the collaborative pianist. Is that that Beethoven seventh sonata, violin and piano sonata, a very very challenging piece, and it featuring is. an orchestration of that seems particularly appropriate in this yeah. case. I'm, I'm sure is, that that yeah. was part of the roadmap when you were oh, plotting we out way this. Out. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 know all these things way out. Well, it's uh, uh, it's been a great discussion. I mean, we're running out of time, so we're going to have to. Uh, uh, we're going to have to say goodbye, but uh, we do want to mention that the concerts are this weekend. That's happening uh, November 11th, Saturday at 2.30 in the afternoon at the Franciscan Center at Lourdes University. Two piano concertos of Mozart, 
number 24 in C minor, and number 8 in C major. That features pianist Samantha Beresford, whom we've been talking with today. And Samantha, best of luck on the concerts, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at WGTE.org. I'm Brad Cresswell. This has been Toledo Symphony Lab here on Public Radio FM 91.